everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today is a How I Got Here version of the podcast with Daniel Norwood, who is the head of Sirius XM Radio's NASCAR channel, Channel 90. He makes all the programming decisions on the channel and is someone who I've wanted to talk to for this series all year. Uh, because that's kind of a cool job and very interesting to me. Like, how does someone end up in that position? So uh, as I've done for many of these interviews, it's sort of an excuse to find out and sit down and have that conversation. I will say, full disclosure right off the bat, Daniel has given me some opportunities to be on the Sirius XM Channel 90. So this could be viewed by some as a opportunity to kiss up to Daniel to get more opportunities, but that's really not why I'm doing this. I am genuinely curious about his story and thought he would have an interesting one for the podcast. So uh, hopefully you won't take it that way, but I want to acknowledge that off the bat in case somebody was like, Hey, wait a minute, you're on that channel sometimes. So anyway, uh, let's get right into Daniel's story and how he got to where he is today. All right, everybody, I'm here with Daniel Norwood. And Daniel, uh, first of all, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, what what can you describe uh, in the way that you do now for Sirius? What what falls under your purview for the NASCAR channel? Sure, and and thanks for thanks for inviting me to do this. It's nice. I got my hair done. I hope I look good on the podcast. Oh, yeah, it looks perfect. And yeah. when, you, when you write the transcript, make sure I look just as good, okay? I'll put in parentheses, has nice hair. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, make me look taller, if you would, as well. <laughs> I am the uh, Senior Director of NASCAR Programming, which is a really a big, fancy title. That, uh, in, in radio terminology, it means I'm the Program Director. I always boil it down to say I do the hiring, the firing, and decide what goes on the air. Mm-hmm. And so when shows come on, like the Happy Hours with Kevin Harvick, mm-hmm. You're the one that's gone out and got that and things like that and, and decided to put that on the air? Yeah, you know, everybody has a boss. I have a great one, Steve Cohen. Uh, he has bosses, uh, the president, CEO, and so forth. But, uh, but yeah, it's largely myself and my team working with Steve Cohen. And, uh, and we just try to find something that's unique and creative. And in those particular cases, um, you know, they actually came to us and said, hey, we have an idea. We'd like to see if you would be interested. Of course, we were immediately interested. Um, then you got to go out and try to find some sponsorship and find a way to pay for the show. And, uh, and that's kind of the genesis of how those things begin. It's usually just with a passing conversation, usually at the garage or something. Um, that one uh, came about because of the success of Tony Stewart Live. Tony used to do a show with us. He did a weekly, pro- uh, weekly program back in the early days, maybe back in 2007 when the channel first started. And uh, then dropped down to a handful of times throughout the year. But we got a lot of attention. I think they saw that. And, of course, Kevin's working on his broadcast career for the future when he hangs up the helmet and thought this might be a, a good place to go. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. So, um, you know, obviously uh, there's only one job like yours where you're deciding all the NASCAR programming and all the hosts and all the shows. How did you get to where you are today? Where, uh, did you grow up wanting to be in radio at all? Yeah, I you know that no that was never uh, it was never in my mind at the early days. I wanted okay. to be a psychologist, really, which in some ways I actually am today. As I <laughs> sit down and uh, tell me about your problems. That's what a, that's a lot of time what we have to do in a, in a managerial role. But uh, that's what I wanted to do for as long as I could remember. I wanted to be a psychologist. Okay, no secretly, and I, I've really never said this to anybody, maybe other than my wife. Secretly, I always wanted to be a comedian. That was that was my dream. Wow. And to this day, if I could get over my stage fright. Uh, I never told anybody, I don't think, but I've been writing comedy for 25 years. You're kidding. Uh, I write it every day. Wow. Uh, and I put, it might just be a line. Sometimes it might be a couple of pages, but I write stuff and I, I put it off to the side and uh, 
I don't know, one day maybe. A friend of mine, uh, I used to write, and he used to perform, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. Like um, stand-up material yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, that's what I enjoy the most. Um, and, and, you know, when I'm away from the racetrack, you'll find me, if not in a movie theater, then in the comedy club or something like that. I just I just love to live in those environments. I find uh, the more I'm around it, the more ideas that come my way. So, um, But nevertheless, no, I... I, I was exposed probably to NASCAR as a, as a kid. My dad is an architect. He works in Charlotte for a company called Metrolina Builders, and they uh, were instrumental in doing some designs here at the racetrack. They they did things like uh, when the condos were going up here at Charlotte Motor Speedway, they uh, they put on uh, a siding and they put on uh, uh, the roofs and things like that. And uh, they also uh, uh, built the original Jeff Gordon shops, the 24 shop, and they, they, were, they built the museum and uh, hmm. Uh, a whole bunch of the stuff over at the Hendrick campus, the original. And so I would go to the racetrack because my dad would get tickets. And uh, I remember vividly sitting in the track one time. I was not a NASCAR fan, didn't know anything about it. But I remember very clearly this car going off around the turn. Next thing you know, he's he's bumped someone, and he bumped somebody behind him. He kind of slowed up and bumped somebody behind him, and he made this space. And I remember thinking, I've never seen something like this, but I couldn't pronounce his name. I couldn't remember it. It was Ear Hair or <laughs> Earhart, Amelia. I don't know what it was. Dale Earnhardt, of course. And um, I never forgot how cool that was, but I never thought that I would be uh, doing something in the NASCAR world. You asked specifically about radio. Uh, never thought that I would be working in a NASCAR radio uh, environment. Um, but I, uh, I started as an intern, and if anybody is listening that is uh, trying to figure out how to get into this business, I highly recommend an internship. It's certainly easier when you do it like I did when you were pretty young. Um, but, what were uh, you, who were you an intern for? Uh, in Charlotte, there was a program that originated from here, but it was nationally syndicated, and it was called The Alan Handelman Show. And uh, I started as an intern with Alan, and uh, it was so cool because I got to meet people like ACDC and uh, Jay Leno, and he'd have he got the most interesting guests on that were re- that were relevant to the rock culture, but not specifically just rock and roll. I mean, he would he would have uh, presidential candidates, but he'd also talk about subculture things like uh, pot or uh, aliens or or whatever the case, whatever he could do to entertain an audience late at night, middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found it fascinating. And uh, from that, uh, I got uh, a part-time job running a board. And uh, interesting connection. It's one of those six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of things. The guy who gave me my very first paid job in radio is a guy by the name of Chris McKee. And Chris now runs the Motor Racing Network, MRN Radio. Wow. Um, he paid me $7 an hour to come in and, and run the board. And uh, that, that, that spurred off into a full-time job at another station. I worked in all sports. And it just kind of kept going from there. So it was all from an internship. And uh, who would have thought I'd been here today? It's been uh, 22 years now I've been in radio. So um, as your career is progressing, um, what what did your goals change into? I mean, are you starting to think, wow, you know, I'm moving up. Now I know how a show runs or now I know how a station runs. You know, how how did that evolve as you were sort of moving up? Sure. Um, it's funny. I think most people, not all, but I think most people that get into our business want to be on the air. Uh, because I think that's and that's an obvious. I think that's what you know mm-hmm. when you're listening and you've never really thought about this business. You just assume that that's all there is to a radio station. You don't realize that there are accounting people and there's you know there's a receptionist at the front desk and there's somebody that has to make all the commercials happen and production department and there's just tons of people behind the scenes, producers and board operators. 
uh, I wanted to be on the air. And I was at 99.7 The Fox here in Charlotte. It's the Heritage Rock Station in town. And uh, there's a flagship morning show there called John Boy and Billy. And the John Boy and Billy Big Show uh, is huge throughout the Southeast. If, if your listeners and readers um, haven't heard of them, uh, thebigshow.com, you can check them out. They're really, they're really a, a unique morning show, and they do a lot with the NASCAR community. Um, so I started at the Fox and uh, ran the board and worked my way up to being on the air. And I thought, man, I've made it. This is, this is, that was the dream. I mean, honestly, there was never any thought of going beyond the Fox. That was the dream. Got on the air, and it was the worst train wreck you've ever seen in your life. Really? It was horrible. No. Uh, awful. Terrible. The worst radio that's ever happened. I did. People will call in. People love free stuff. They mm-hmm. will call in, and if you're giving away pencil erasers, they, you know, they just, I, please give me a pencil eraser. I, I was doing middle of the night, and I tried to give myself some sort of consolation that maybe it had something to do with the time of day, but I think it was just that I was horrible. I had a pretty good prize. It was like concert tickets and CD or something like that. And uh, caller number nine gets the package. We'll tell you about it next. Go to break. I didn't get one single phone call. Huh. Not one. And that it told me that night, there's not one person listening to me right now. Because if, if there was even one person listening, they would have won. Right. But it kind of put in, into perspective that I was trying too hard. I was trying to be the guy who knows everything about rock and roll. When in actuality, right before we would come on the air, I'd be scanning through a book trying to learn about the song. You know, I don't know anything about uh, the cars or... Uh, you know, Eddie Vedder or something. So I'm going to ring. I'm going to read about it and see what I can say when you know make this interest a little bit more interesting. And uh, it was not good. Hmm. But I found out by failing at that that I was good behind the scenes. And I've told people many times when they try to get into this business and they ask me for advice, um, it's okay to chase your dreams, but try really hard to listen to the universe. It'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Hmm. And if you're willing to accept that. Um, I think your life could be a lot better. Had I continued to chase that dream of being on the air, I probably would not be in radio right now. But I accepted that I was good behind the scenes and have built a career out of it. And um, and I've, I'm really proud of the fact that in 22 years of being in radio, I've never once applied for a job. Every single time I've been recruited. Wow. Um, I like to think that that's because my work speaks for itself. Um, and certainly I'm not doing it by myself. There's a lot of people that are here to, to make me look good. Um, but you act, asked about sort of the trajectory, and, and, and that sort of the, was the path that we took. How did the serious thing come about? Were they, I assume, uh, the NASCAR thing starting up, and they're looking for someone? Maybe you had a good reputation? Yeah, uh, 2006, I got a phone call. I was standing at uh, WFNZ Radio. I was working the All Sports Channel here. Mark Packer was the host. His dad's Billy Packer from CBS Sports, and we had a, a little bit of a regionalized uh, sports show syndicated probably in about five markets in the south. Um, and had made a, a kind of a name for myself within that little world. You know, your, your listeners, your readers, uh, they, they don't know who I am. But uh, in that community, it was kind of a big fish, small pond scenario. Um, and uh, I was really happy. I wasn't looking for much else. It was just kind of like with the fox. Hey, look, I never thought this was going to happen. Here I am. Man, I'm going to ride this as long as they'll let me stay on board. Yeah. And then it turned out that a uh, phone rang one day in 2006 and a guy by the name of Steve Cohen, who is the uh, Senior Vice President of Sports Programming at Sirius XM, he called and he said, hey, listen, we're about to launch an all-NASCAR channel. XM currently has the rights. Sirius is taking over the rights. And this is before their merger and back in, I believe it was 2009, 2010, something like that. And, uh, and Steve calls and he says, you know, I already have the guy that I'm going to hire for this channel, but two people have told me recently you'd be smart to talk to Daniel Norwood before you pull the trigger. Wow. One of them was David Poole. He was a longtime writer for the Charlotte Observer. 
um, who went on to be the first host of the Morning Drive on Sirius, at the time, Sirius NASCAR Radio. Uh, David was uh, highly respected in, my, in this business, and I think you would probably agree with that. Um, so he got Steve's ear. Just so happened that David was one of my co-hosts on Primetime with the Pac-Man on WFNZ. So there was some, some overlap there. The other guy was named uh, Chris Weiler. Chris Weiler worked for the Charlotte Bobcats at the time. They're now the Charlotte Hornets. Just so happened that Weiler is Steve Cohen's best friend. Oh, wow. And so two people that I knew recommended him, or recommended me rather, to, to, uh, to Steve, and he made a phone call. And, again, he said, I've already got the guy, but I'm just talking to you. Before the end of that phone call, he said, would you like to come work for us? Um, I don't know what I said or what I did, but for some reason it changed his mind. Uh, he said, before I can officially offer this to you, you got to meet with NASCAR. There was a vice president by the name of Paul Brooks. Mm-hmm. Had to go meet with Paul, met with Paul. And before I got back to my car, the phone was ringing and uh, Steve made an offer and, and, and I was able to accept it. So was there any hesitation? Because, I mean, at the time, if I recall, uh, Sirius now is a household name and it's established satellite radio is clearly you know a dominant force but um at the time was was it as uh, clear cut for you the decision not at all i was scared to death because like i said big fish small pond um i felt like i had carved out a little niche for myself and i was going to jump outside of my comfort zone big time i was worried about being exposed uh to this day i don't consider myself a nascar expert uh, my hosts are experts our producers are experts it's not really um, part of my job to be an expert on, on the sport. That's why we hire good people. Um, we're nice enough. You come, time, some, come sometimes and join us, and you would be an expert. I'm not an expert. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I met with my uncle. He passed away uh, right before the job started. Uh, he passed away uh, in uh, February of 2007. And uh, he told me at the time, you know, you got to do this. He was a big NASCAR fan. He said, you got to do it. And he was a great mentor. He said, even if you do it for a year and the whole thing falls apart, you're going to have that on your resume for the rest of your life. And he said, you, you know, national. And, you know, think of all the people that you could meet. And I thought, boy, you know, I don't take chances very easily. But it's something about the way he said it. I had another mentor, Terry Hansen at the time, who was great with business. He was, um, he was Ted Turner's right-hand man. Wow. And, uh, and he sat down with me and we went through it. He helped me negotiate my, uh, my salary, um, which by the way, thank you, Terry, you did a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, it was one of those kind of deals where, uh, fake it till you make it. And, uh, and I think that's what we were able to do. And, uh, and now hopefully I'm not embarrassing myself too much and, uh, and people like what they're hearing. So on a day-to-day basis now, you are making programming. You know, you're, you have your hosts. You have your regular shows sure. that are on, and then people need to fill in. So you're looking at that. You're looking at, um, I assume, what you're listening to um, to try to figure out what's next for your, for your channels and, and your hosts and things like your shows. Um, you know, what, what goes into your day-to-day job? I spend a lot of time at the computer. Um, to me, that's not really what radio is all about, and that was kind of one of the problems with transitioning into this role. I've always been in a studio, and I always assumed uh, that that's where you had to be in order to do radio. But um, I spend a lot of time in front of a computer, uh, doing email. I work remotely. One of the things that a lot of our listeners may not know is that our business model is such that the majority of our hosts uh, work from their house. Hmm. Um, our producers and board operators are based in Washington, D.C., and uh, as the program director, I'm based in my home just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, a small place called Lake Wiley, South Carolina. And so uh, 
Uh, I work in a little small office at the house, uh, constantly creating schedules, listening to the channel, offering suggestions. What I was able to do, what I was able to bring to the channel was I've cultivated relationships over the years. Um, I had about 10 years under my belt before I came to Sirius XM. And, uh, and so those contacts uh, have helped us to start the channel. Um, and, and then we sort of, you know, if a new producer comes in, they don't have those contacts. I have an open Rolodex. And they, they usually they, they go, well, what's a Rolodex? Because they're all <laughs> so young. But, um, you know, it's uh, we share resources. But, yeah, we're always looking for new uh, programming. We're always looking for new talent. Um, we're always looking to take somebody who maybe isn't an established name and hopefully create someone um, that can be our own. That's the dream. It's a little bit more challenging in the world of NASCAR than it is in a stick and ball environment because uh, NASCAR is, in, in so many ways, still a niche sport that uh, you know you got to convince people. They come to the track, they're sold. They're mm-hmm. instantly sold, and they're coming back for life. But if they've only experienced it over the radio or television, some of them are apprehensive and they don't you know build that huge fan base. It takes them a while, so it's harder for us to find people. They're already tied up with MRN or PRN, Fox, NBC, whatever the case. NASCAR.com, you know. Um, but, you know, there have been a handful of success stories. You've been great. I mean, and, and again, I'm hoping the majority of Thank your you. listeners have heard you uh, on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, people like yourself that are willing to take a chance and get out of their comfort zone a little bit. You bring the NASCAR knowledge, so maybe let's all work together to get you up to speed as a broadcaster. It works the other way as well. Bring me a seasoned professional as a broadcaster, and we can probably teach them the NASCAR stuff. But I always say, you know, bring me someone that knows nothing about radio or about radio or about NASCAR and you know I'm very busy so. right yeah <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier in the interview about internships and the importance of doing that sure. if someone has a dream of like wow I'd love to decide who's on the morning drive 10 years from now and and uh, you know who replaces Moody someday you know 20 years I you know there's a kid out there in college or something and we are actively looking for the person that will help us replace Moody anybody <laughs> listening I'm just in case he's listening, I want to make sure that that's known. Um, so what what advice would you have um, for somebody that's looking to get their start and maybe follow in your footsteps one day? Well, like I say, internships are certainly the, the best way. Um, some people are able to skip over that. But anything entry level, just get your foot in the door, um, spending the time there. I can't tell you how many times, whether I was being paid or not, how many times I worked uh, a, a night, uh, a weekend, a holiday, um, I remember eating Thanksgiving dinner, uh, sitting right there at the radio control board, and my family brought down a plate of food. Wow. Um, you know, Christmas. That's sad. <laughs> you know, it, it, it feels like it was, but I was having the time of my life. Yeah. Because I was where I wanted to be. And, uh, you know, honestly, if you can find people that support you, that's a big deal. So, I, again, I'm not... I'm not embarrassed by this, but I'm not super proud of it either. So I don't talk about it much, but I did not go to college. Um, I was uh, in high school when I got my internship. I was in my senior year, and it's, it's too long of a story to tell you here, but there was a, there was a program at school that they wanted you to do a project, mm-hmm. and a friend of mine did his on radio. Uh, I went with him, and that's how I met the host that became my, my in, or I got my internship from. Wow. Um, but uh, uh, I was going to be the first in my family to graduate college, and there was a lot of pressure. I'm an only child, and, uh, you know, I just assumed I was always going to do it, especially if you're going to be a psychologist. They kind of like you to have a degree, right? So yeah. that's what I thought I was going to do. When I found radio and decided that's really where I wanted to go, I went to my my folks, specifically my dad, and I said, um, I'm loving this. And, you know, 
I had a conversation today that I never thought I would have. Jeff Kent was the program director at WRFX in Charlotte, and I went to him and I said, hey, look, uh, I'm going to be going off to college here pretty soon. My goal is to go to Carolina. I'd like to get a, a degree in uh, communications and broadcasting. Matter of fact, John Boy and Billy even had a scholarship program back then, and I thought maybe I could come back and work for you later on. And he said, well, I have a job for you right now. Wow. And uh, and I said, well, yeah, but I, I got to go get this degree. you know. And he said, I'll never forget how he said this. He said, why would you leave uh, a job that I'm offering you right now to go off to get a degree to come back and ask me for the job that I'm offering you right now because this is what I would be offering you. Right. And I never thought about it that way. So I went back, talked to my dad, and he said, okay, let's not lose sight of school because, mm-hmm. listen, at that age, you know, the first shiny thing that you see, that's what you chase after. Um, and I think he was worried that maybe that's what this was. So let's go, let's go do this for a year. Let's not forget uh, about school. And uh, then go get that degree. Mm-hmm. And that was 22 years ago. Wow. Um, but the fact that I had my family's support, without that, all the other opportunities that were presented to me really wouldn't have meant anything. Huh. Wow, that's really fascinating. Daniel, thank you so much. Um, hopefully, we'll see you sometime in an open mic night. Because <laughs> now that I know this, <laughs> try to urge you to do that. Uh, yeah, if you do, try not to throw anything on stage and, uh, I don't know, cover yourself up because I may be vomiting. It's uh, <laughs> going to be a scary night. But I really appreciate you taking the time to, to ask me to do this. It's been fun. And uh, if anybody wants to check us out, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90, we are the only 24-7 NASCAR coverage that you can get anywhere in the world. Uh, and uh, we hope that you like what you hear. If not, drop me an email, and I'd love to uh, love to hear from you. Cool. Thanks so much, Daniel. Thank you. All right, everybody, so there you have it. You never know some people's stories and backgrounds. Uh, just another one uh, where you get a chance to sit down with somebody and hear about their life. And, um, you know, I, I see Daniel all the time over the years at, at racetracks and stuff, and I never knew so much of this. So um, thank you for allowing me all year on this series to find out people's stories sort of while you listen along. Uh, I've really enjoyed doing this. Um, it, it will be coming to an end. With a couple more episodes, I will be trying to do a different podcast series next year as I did for the uh, Social Spotlight last year, kind of have a different theme each season. So I'll be trying to come up with something different. But hopefully you guys have enjoyed hearing these over the course of this season and uh, a couple more interesting ones still to go. If you have enjoyed this series or you enjoy the 12 questions or the post-race podcast, anything like that, um, and you are an iTunes subscriber, would really appreciate if you left a rating and review on the iTunes page about this podcast because I think that would help people uh, find the podcast and get a little bit higher in search rate rankings and things like that. So um, from my understanding, it, it all helps the, the algorithm and helps other people find it to listen as well. So I just want to obviously have as, as many people listen as possible to these stories and these interviews. Coming up on the next edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast, it's going to be a Martinsville post-race podcast with Jordan Bianchi. We will do this one more time where he's in Minnesota and I'm in Portland. Um, I will be getting back on the road for the final three races of the NASCAR season, so we'll be doing a post-race podcast in person there. But um, one more virtual far away podcast with Jordan, and he's been such a trooper and a help while I've been off the road on Baby Watch and uh, now Baby Arrival to uh, pitch in and take his time to do these. And then on Tuesday, it will be a 12 questions with Chris Busher. can tell you the remaining 12 questions interviews this season are going to be with Chris Busher going into Texas. 
then Austin Dillon going into Phoenix, and finally, as always, Landon Castle ending the 12 questions for the season per tradition going into Homestead, Miami. So that is what is coming up. Thank you again so much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast.